Okay, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verse 35 this morning. Luke 18, 35. Let me read the passage. Luke 18.35, we use the New American Standard here at this church. Luke 18.35. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by And he called out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho, that is, Jesus was passing through, and there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus stopped. Zacchaeus stopped and said to him, Lord, Behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Can you relate with this? When I'm faced with a new task or a new experience and I have a choice between task A, which I'm fairly familiar with and maybe I have the tools to use and I've done it before, or task B, which is brand new and I've never experienced it and I'm not sure I really have the tools to do that which needs to be done, I have a tendency to choose task A, I choose the path of what? Least resistance. Have you seen that in yourself? Well, or maybe going somewhere. And you've been at a place before and you kind of know the layout of the land, you know how to get there, Um, you've got a good place to go and nice restaurants. As opposed to visit B, where you've never been there and you're not sure your car will make it and... Um, So you have a tendency to kind of go there. We have a tendency to follow the path of least resistance. Have you seen that in yourself? However, oftentimes when you do that, what happens? You miss out on 
a new experience in growing in an area that you never had experience in. Or maybe if it was a, a place you were going to visit, you gee, it was, it was really a neat place and there'd be new vistas and you'd open up a little bit of your understanding of new areas. Oftentimes, all of us, when faced with maybe the uncomfortable or maybe a little bit of threatening or unfamiliar or challenging, we, we kind of shy away from that. But when applied to our spiritual life, that same principle we oftentimes miss out on a blessing from God. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because that introduces us to our two characters in our passage this morning, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus. And they, when we see them, when we're first introduced to them, they move to a much deeper, exciting level of experience with the Lord because they were able to get past that just going the path of least resistance. And where I'm going with that is because they had, and the the characteristic that you need to have to help you move past what's just as easy is having what I call the want to. (laughs) You've got the want to. Now you're thinking, well, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, let me kind of illustrate it by talking about these two men because I believe they exemplify what I call having the want to. And if you don't have the want to in relationship with your experience with the Lord, oftentimes you'll not move past kind of where you are. Let's take a look. What is the want to? And we have the want to. What does it look like? Well, let's take a look. Well, the first question I have in mind is, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do you know this blind guy, his name is Bartimaeus? It's a good question. Well, if you knew your Bible, you turn back into Mark chapter 10, you'd see that there's the exact same story. And Mark tells us his name was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Okay, so his name is Bartimaeus. First thing we see about Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus is both recognized their need. Both recognized their need. Now, Bartimaeus, let's take a look at him first in verses 18 and 41 in chapter 18. He was a blind beggar. He was a blind beggar. Obviously, he had some needs, but that particular morning, he woke up and what was his need? Give me a couple of shekels so I can bet, so I can get dinner and lunch. You know, <laughs> that's what his need was, and so he was needy. But that was his reality. His reality that he was a blind beggar, right? That was his reality. But he began to recognize his need when he heard what? He heard that Jesus was in town, and he knew something about Jesus because when he heard what Jesus was in town, he began to cry out and say, "Jesus, have mercy." So the fact of what he knew about Jesus, and we don't know too much, but he knew something about Jesus, and the fact that he was in town, that what birthed or ignited his need. And he recognized that no longer just was the reality of him being a blind beggar, but his need was that he needed to receive his sight, regain his sight, 
began to grow. So he recognized his need. Now Zacchaeus is similar, but slightly different. He was a tax collector, but he was Jewish. What does that mean? Well, the Romans would oftentimes use the Jewish people or whoever's country they were occupying. They would use the people of that people group to be their tax collectors. And the Jews looked on Zacchaeus as a what? As a traitor. He was working for the the hated Romans. Not only that, but the way the Roman system worked is you could collect how much the taxes were, but add a little bit extra. So say if your tax was $100, for instance, well, if you were a tax collector, you could add, well, make it 110 or 120 or 130, however much you could squeeze out of those particular people. And it says that he was a tax collector and he was what? Rich. That means what? He was, he was really squeezing them. He was making money on them. And so not only was he a traitor, but he was hated. He didn't have many friends in Jericho. Not many at all. So his Jewish neighbors disliked him and the Romans were using him. Do you think they looked at him? No, he was Jewish. He was just Jewish. They didn't want anything to do with him. So this, this fella, Zacchaeus, it looked like things were going well. He had a big house and he was rich. Things looked really well, but that was not true. And when he heard that Jesus was in town, he hurried quickly to see him. He recognized, I believe, he recognized his need. Because notice in verses um, 8 and 9, without Jesus ever saying anything about it, he began to say, uh, you know, I'm going to give a third of what, uh, my half of my possessions I'll give to the poor and four times as much as if I've defrauded someone. He had some residual guilt for the kind of life he lived. We see the same thing in the book of Acts. Do you remember when Peter preached that sermon on the day of Pentecost? There was people who got up that day and they weren't thinking about anything in particular, but when Peter preached the death and resurrection of Jesus, what happened? There was about 3,000 people came forward and they said, uh, Sirs, what brothers, what must we do? <laughs> and Peter and the apostle told him. Do you remember the story of in Acts chapter 16? Paul and Silas were in jail, had no money for the bail. <laughs> the earthquake, and, and the jailer comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? Now, these were not intellectual questions that began a, a philosophical debate about Christianity. These were guys who were ready. They recognized their need because of the preaching of the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, it birthed in them the need. And when they recognized their need, it gave them the what? The what to. To move past where they were. Now, however, in the Acts chapter 17, do you remember? Paul was preaching what? The death and resurrection of Jesus to the Athenians. Some of them said what? Some of them sneered. You can almost see, yeah, 
Jeff, well, he's preaching foreign gods. They didn't even understand what he was talking about. However, others said, well, yeah, well, we'll see you later, maybe, maybe, well, we're someone, eh, whatever. But some joined them, joined Paul, and were converted. So some oftentimes don't see their need. I'm fine. You ever run into somebody? Why do I need to be saved? I'm not lost. And when you're ministering to people like that, it's like they need a little bit more prayer <laughs> from you and they also need to kind of experience the consequences of their sinful life to kind of prepare them, so to speak, so they recognize the need <laughs> at the preaching of the gospel. Now, in 1966, I was just, uh, I was not a Christian and I was just in the middle of a, Divorce, divorcing my wife of my high school years, 66, 67. I was running with a group of people and there was a blind person, believe it or not. He was a blind guitar player and he used to play the folk song. He was good. He had been born blind. And he had adopted this group of people that I was running with as a missions project. (laughs) We didn't know we were a missions project, but that's what he was doing. So he'd come at our, our parties and he'd play songs. But every once in a while he'd throw a little song about Jesus. And, and he would tell me, Neil, you need Jesus. And I thought, how nice. You know, he's, he needs Jesus because he's born blind, you know. But I discounted because I was all involved in my single life and enjoying the freedom that I now had, supposedly. But five years later, 1971... Uh, things had kind of changed. I had been banged around a little bit. And when people told me, and that man told me about Jesus, that man there, Jimmy Davis, I saw my need. Gave me the want to. Mm. Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus recognized their need. The preaching of the death and resurrection of Christ. Second thing we see. Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus both sought out Jesus. Verses um, 36 through 38, it said when he found out that Jesus was in town, when Bartimaeus heard the crowd, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, had mercy on me. He cried out several times. Zacchaeus, when he heard that Jesus was in town, he was this man of tall stature. There was a large crowd. And so what did he do? He climbed up a sycamore tree. Now, there's probably some theological reason why Luke tells us it was a sycamore tree, but it's a sycamore tree. I don't know why. I'm not going to make any applications there. But both of them sought out Jesus. They sought out Jesus. They heard about him and they sought him out. It's an expression of having the what? The want to. Seeking out Jesus. Now, in our day here in Christianity, we have what we call the what? Follow-up. Do you know what follow-up is? Follow-up is when you have a campaign or maybe an evangelistic outreach. People who come forward or maybe fill out a card, I want to know more about 
the Christian life. They fill out a card or, or maybe come forward at church or perhaps just join us here and you filled out one of those visitor cards, you know, this, and you dropped it in and you got your coffee cup, you know, and whatever. Uh, follow-up is when we would send you a little note or maybe a letter or a phone call or maybe even a visit stopping by. Not to pester to you, not to, you know, rope you in, but it's an expression for us to say, for Christians to say, hey, listen, we care. We care enough. How can we help you kind of deepen or begin your relationship with God? And, and we believe in follow-up. Okay, do I believe in follow-up? I, I believe, one, I'm, that's what we do here. Not to pester to you or anything like that. It's just a way of saying, hey, how can we pray for you? How can we minister to you? Is there something we can do to help you? We believe in follow-up. However, can I share my perspective? Over the years that I've been a pastor here, there are some folks who just come and they just, they don't need a letter or a call or anything. They just, well, when's your next meeting? Uh, okay, when's the men's, where's the men's group? Uh, uh, when, you, when's your prayer meeting? And they just, you, we open the door and they're here. They don't need any follow-up. You know why? Because they got the want to. They want to. It's not like, well, okay. Do I have to? Well, maybe if you're real nice. Or uh, are, are you serving food? Are there fresh donuts? And, no, 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 no. Now, being that we're talking about my silly experience with the Lord, how silly I was, when I... Um, came to King's Hacienda back in San Clemente, California. I was so blessed by the fellowship. The first question out of my mouth when the first meeting ended on Thursday night, you know what I said? Well, when do you guys get together again? They said, Saturday night we have a concert. I said, oh, really? Okay, I'll be here. What time? And then they said, well, what after that? Tuesday night. They had Tuesday night, Thursday night, Saturday night Bible. Yeah, I'll be there. And when the doors opened, I was there early. You know why? Because I had to want to. I had to want to. I want to know more. Now, don't take this wrong, guys. Don't, don't take it wrong, okay? I had a... <laughs> I had a fellow that told me, well, I'm going somewhere else, Pastor Neil. And we, we asked him why. And he said, well, you know, in the year plus that I've been coming here, nobody ever took me out to lunch. No, I, okay, guys. No, I can understand that. I understand, I understand that. If you're coming to church to be taken out to lunch, <laughs> If that's it, guys, you're missing it. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And what? All these things will be what? Added to you. So is, is making friends and getting taken out to lunch part of church experience? Yes, but that's not the reason you come to church. You come to church to seek Jesus. And when you seek him first, then all these wonderful things start to happen. Ah, 
Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus were seeking Jesus. Do you think it was in Jesus, Zacchaeus' mind that, boy, I hope if Jesus sees me, maybe he'll come down to lunch with me. No, it was the furthest thing from his mind. Third, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus both overcame opposition. Do you see that? Look at verse 39 in chapter 18. He began to call out, and what happened? Those who led the way were sternly telling, Hey, be quiet. We ain't got no time for blind beggars. Get out of here. Who was saying that? Well, it says here, those who led the way. It was probably, <laughs> it was probably uh, James and John, the thunders of Sonic. Get out of here. Lee, you know, we're busy. We got a schedule to keep. We're, you know, come on, get out. We ain't got no time for blind beggars. Get out of here. But he just what? He overcame the opposition. He wouldn't be quiet. And finally, Jesus says, what is that? What is that? Oh, yeah, bring them over here. He pushed through the opposition. See that? How about Zacchaeus? Same thing, a little different. When Jesus decided to go for lunch or dinner, whatever it was, have dinner at his house, what was the first thing? All the neighbors said, oh, he's going to sinner. He's a sinner. yeah. Zacchaeus didn't let that stop him either. He just, yes, oh, good, good. He received him. Let's go, Jesus. Now, whenever we get serious or start to draw near to the Lord, either for the first time or renewing our, our commitment to the Lord, oftentimes we'll have friends or family members. Kind of discourage us. Have you seen that? Maybe a friend who say, what? You're going to church? Oh, we're going to go to the river this weekend. Oh, come on, don't go. Come on. What's the matter with you? Maybe a friend, maybe a family member, my mom or dad or brother or sister, or maybe even a mate who would say, you know, you're always going to church. Why are you always reading your Bible? Come on over here and watch TV with me. Have you seen that? Yeah. Now, it's not like the opposition that Paul had, if you read the gospel. I mean, he, <laughs> he had some real opposition. He got stoned and beat up and thrown out of town. He had some real opposition as he tried to push the envelope and moving further with the Lord. Well, maybe some of our friends in the third world country have those experiences, and I'm sure they do. You talk to some of the folks out here, they, they'll tell you the stories. When I first came to know the Lord, I had some old friends that I knew from up in the South Bay area. Tom and Marilyn Washinsky. And I had known them when I was not a Christian. And then when I became a Christian, I, I think I was either calling them or wrote them a letter because we were kind of close friends and telling them what I did. And we were, back then, we were on some nights, we were out there in the streets of, of, of San Clemente trying to reach the Marines who were going to Vietnam. We're trying to say, these guys are going possibly to their death, and we wanted to tell them about Jesus. And you know what Marilyn Wyszynski said to me? She said, Neil, are you still accosting people on the street? Here I'm trying to, here we're trying to, you know, help people, give them hope as they face perhaps certain death in Vietnam, and she's discouraging, accosting, that's what she said, accosting people on the street. 
I once had an old girlfriend after I was a Christian. I was in Bible school. And she said, you know, Neil, I'm breaking up with you. And I asked her why. And she told me, you're never going to make it as a Christian. You're just... I don't think I don't think you have it, Neil. <laughs> I once had a staff member, part-time staff member years ago, and she said to me when she left, she said, well, I had kind of our closing interview and she's moving on and stuff. She's getting married and moving back east. And she said to me, she said, you know, Neil, you're just a lousy... She told me I was a lousy pastor. <laughs> I've had people say to me, you know, I'm going to another church because you've really let me down because I'm going to a place where they really teach God's word. Now, I'm not saying this to solicit little letters and notes and phone calls from you <laughs> to affirm my ministry. <laughs> Can I tell you that? The reason I'm telling you that is people come and some people go. Amen? But you know what? Jesus sticks around forever. Matter of fact, he said, I want, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And when all is said and done with some people who have come and been a blessing and other people, you were kind of glad that they left. <laughs> Whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you have blessed additions and blessed subtractions. <laughs> and what happens is you find out that Jesus, he sticks around and he's faithful and you need to just press through the opposition and the kind of negative. And there's blessings. There's people who are blessing to him and there's others who are just like, oh, Wow. Now, your feelings can be hurt, amen? When people say things like that, feelings are hurt. I'd imagine Bartimaeus wasn't really happy when they said, get out of here, or Zacchaeus when they said, he's a sinner. They hurt your feelings. And some, you have to continue ministering to them because they're in your family or they're, <laughs> you're married to one of those people, you know? You have to continue ministering to them, believing and praying, oh, Jesus, help them. But in the end, what? Jesus, I'll never let you down. You stick with Jesus. He'll never, he'll never let you down. Okay. Finally, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus both showed evidence of a changed life. Now, Zacchaeus was healed, right? Uh, Hey, that's pretty evident. But look what it says in verse 43 towards the end. And when the people saw it, they gave praise to God. There was evidence that something had happened in his life as a result of him coming to know Jesus. And he he gave up everything and went and followed him. There was evidence. People could see, not only could he see again, because it said he regained his sight, that I might regain my sight. Because perhaps... Perhaps he once saw, but now he can see again. So that was gave praise to God. But also there was evidence in his life of something that was different. And people praised God because of him. Now I had a fellow tell me that he, um, he told an old time friend, he called a friend from years ago, that he had just gotten baptized. And the, the lady friend was just so, it's, oh, well, that's wonderful. And he even began to cry and get all emotional. And the guy, oh, what's, 
you know, what's the deal? He says, I have been praying for you for years. And my church has been praying for you for years. And oh, we're so happy. You see, the evidence (laughs) caused people to praise God. That's what we're supposed to do. That's an evidence of having the what? The want to. Now, one of the mistakes we make when we begin to become serious with the Lord, either in a new way or for the first time, we begin to tell people what to do. Ah, 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 you shouldn't do that. How, How can you do that? No, stop that. Stop it. Why? What you need to do is show evidence. If you love Jesus and he's come into your life and eternal life has come into you, what is the result of people around you as they watch you? They're to what? To be blessed. You're to be a blessing. Now, there, there, is, there are people that, that need to have the truth speaking to them. Speak the truth in love sternly. Amen? You, you know, we don't have to go in that. But generally speaking, you should be a blessing to those people. As a result of your life, they should what? Praise God. There should be that evidence of eternal life in you so that you cause a blessing. Now, Zacchaeus is a little different. Now, we really don't understand exactly what happened to him because he's in the tree and Jesus says, I want to have eat dinner or have come down and stay at your house. Now, why did Jesus? He looked up in the tree and perhaps he saw in him something. Amen? He saw something. There was that, he could see that this man was very interested. So he comes down and then verse 7, they're grumbling, oh, he's a sinner. And then whatever happened in the end, we're not sure exactly when he really fully understand who Jesus was or what Jesus was calling him to do. Uh, Jesus' testimony, however it works out, either right then when they first met, because it says in verse 6, he received him gladly. What does that mean? Does that mean he got to the house and then they were complaining about him being a sinner or whatever happened? We're not real sure, but the evidence in verses 9 and 10 is what? Jesus testifies. He's the son of Abraham. He's come to seek and save that which is lost. Salvation has come to his house. And the evidence, without Jesus saying anything to him, uh, he says, I'm going to give half uh, my possessions. And if I defrauded anybody, I'll give them back four times as much. However it worked out, something changed in his life. And it was there was outward evidence of the salvation that he had received as a result of what he did following that. Now, it's kind of interesting. You've got two men. One's poor, one's rich. Very, very different men. Amen? Yet, very, very similar in what they experienced. Now, do you remember last week we talked about what? The rich young ruler. Remember that? 
verses 22, 24, in that area. And Jesus, after he had spoken to him, the man walks away very sad, and Jesus says how hard it is for those who are what? Rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, here's Zacchaeus. He's rich. (laughs) What's the difference? You see, it doesn't have anything to do with the possessions or the money, does it? Because our friend Bartimaeus had nothing. (laughs) Zacchaeus had all of it. Because it's not about the stuff. It's about having the want to. What is the want to? These guys had had enough of the old life. They had had enough and they were willing to do almost anything to move on past that. They recognized their need. They sought out Jesus. They overcame opposition. And as a result, they evidenced in their lives a changed life. And that's what we call having the want to. Now here's the question. Here's the application in where you're at. Maybe just thinking about becoming a Christian, perhaps. Maybe most of you, I recognize most of you, but maybe there's some here that also are ready to make that next kind of step. Do you ever want to? That's the question. Now, this winter has been very cold. It's been really cold. Some of the mornings, very nippy in the low 40s here in Mission Viejo. And most of you know that I enjoy surfing. And I enjoy, I go surfing early in the morning. We, we walk down the beach when it's still dark. So we're ready to go in the water as soon as it's light. And me and my surfing buddy, we'll go down there and we'll, we'll have hats and gloves and we got our wetsuits in our backpack and walk down to the beach and it could be in the low 40s, you know, 45, 46, and, you know, cool. The wind is blowing off, offshore through San Mateo Valley down there. And it's, oh, oh, oh. We're standing there watching those waves. And uh, I look at those and, you know, there's some mornings I say, you know, brother, I just don't have the one to. Because we have our clothes on, okay? So we have to take off our clothes and put on our wetsuit. Whoo. Ooh, that's a defining moment. And the waves have to be very, very good for me to have the want to. And sometimes I say, you know, Dan, I'm just, <laughs> I just ain't got, I'm just not motivated because the waves have got to be good and big and encouraging. Otherwise, we just say, my buddy will say, well, I ain't got the want to, Neil. We pick up our backpacks and we go back to the car and have a cup of coffee and a roll. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta have the want to. You gotta be ready to move past where you are, and you've had enough of it. And if you have the want to, there's incredible blessings. Look at Bartimaeus. Look at Zacchaeus. What happened in their lives? How did that happen? Without overemphasizing that one point, I believe they did it because they had the want to. How about you? How about me? Let's pray. Lord, Lord. 
Sometimes we get stuck in ruts, Lord. We've done this one thing, and we're just kind of doing what we always did. But yet you're calling us to maybe a little bit more, maybe a brand new life in Christ. But we have to have the one too, Lord. We thank you for this passage that helps us really understand what's involved in that. We thank you for the promise that both Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus evidence in their lives, what you want to do in our lives. Maybe some of us are blind spiritually. We need to have our eyes open. Maybe some of us are bound by the things of this world, by the money and the possessions we have. Lord, we can escape that and find the blessings and the richness that comes with you. Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me this morning.